0: Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. Star Trek, The Walking Dead, and Wheel of Fortune are more than just iconic TV brands. They're intellectual property-powering hit mobile games. And that is the stock in trade at Scopely, an LA-based video game business that has made a specialty of adapting from one medium to another. To discuss how this alchemy is achieved, we've got Scopely CEO, Walter Driver here. Thanks for coming in, Walter.
1: So tell us first about Scopely. How big is the company got? When did it start? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yes, yeah, Scopely is, uh, is about eight years old. We founded it in Los Angeles, um, and it's now a very global business with operations all over the world. Um, and yeah, we built a publishing platform to you know, transform digital free experiences into long-term businesses. And we've adapted some well-known uh, pieces of intellectual property and some universes that people cared a lot about and give them an opportunity to engage with it in a new medium. Um, Companies seen really significant growth over the last few years. We grew our revenues over 15X and 16 quarters from the beginning of 2015 to uh, the Q1 of 2019. And, and it's publicly known that uh, our revenues are north of $400 million. Uh, dollars at the beginning of this year, um, and we've done that by launching, you know, a diverse range of products. As you mentioned, uh, some of the some of the pieces of intellectual property, but we've created games um, also uh, in partnership with the WWE, um, uh, with Looney Tunes, um, and we've created these uh, across a wide range of of gaming experiences, from a massively multiplayer online strategy game like Star Trek to an asynchronous multiplayer board game like Yahtzee. So we've had really a unique uh, record over the last few years of of launching successful games across a wide range of categories.
0: How do you figure out, though, what partners or licenses to go with? Because when you start talking about Looney Tunes and WWE, it's all over the map. And so I'm curious, how do you figure out what you want to make into a game? What makes a good game?
1: Yeah, so I guess at the core, what Scopely is is a is a platform for personalized software based entertainment, right? And and when we say that, I think you know for uh, you know listeners of a variety, I think we believe that um, you know a huge amount of entertainment time, energy, and and uh, revenues is going to move from passively consumed experiences to interactive ones. And one of the really powerful things about interactive experiences is that they can be personalized by each individual user and. Um, and also the creators of those experiences can, can build technology and tools that help adapt that experience on a per-user basis. So um, depending on how you're playing the game, we can adapt things to pair you with people at your skill level or your stage in the life cycle of your experience inside of that game um, and really customize the experience in a way that's more engaging for you. So we start with that publishing platform, and then we build content strategies on top of that where we think what can be a, a decade-long plus um, thriving business that's going to uh, have really high levels of user engagement and monetization over a long period of time. And, you know, we start with that concept and then we look at what are the opportunities in, in mobile gaming and the types of gameplay that we think we're best suited to pursue. Um, and also we look at what brands really resonate with um, those types of players. And sometimes it, it starts with, uh, with an IP and a partner who comes to us and says, you know, we think we could, you could do something great with Yahtzee, which is the case in our partnership with Hasbro, because we had already had success making Dice games and with Dice with Buddies. In other cases, uh, we've approached you know, IP holders and said, we have a great plan for what we could do uh, with your brand on mobile, which was sort of how the Star Trek conversation started happening with CBS Interactive. Um, and both methods have been successful. Really, what we're thinking about is, you know, what, can, what can people still be enjoying doing 10 years from now? Um, and how can we get behind that and create a world class, you know, digital experience, you know, in that universe?
0: I'm curious about the nature of the deal making with the CBS Interactive's of the world. I mean, I, like, who's paying who here? Are you just sort of a, you know, creating a service for them, or sure. is the value go the other way?
1: Yeah, so I think this—the thinking around this has evolved a lot over the last few years. Because first of all, I think free-to-play games in the Western world are a very new business, right? This is really in the last decade this is um, started to happen. And so originally, I think people thought of mobile game licensing as sort of an ancillary revenue stream for for traditional IP holders. And over the last, you know, even five years, I think that thinking has evolved dramatically. And we're fortunate to work with some partners who have been really strategic in how they think about. Um, the digital expressions of their brand. And, and a lot of those groups are now thinking, hey, you know, if we own something people care about, what is, a, what is the long-term digital experience where people can come every day and spend, you know, a, a lot of time engaging with this universe and make it really their own personal experience? Um, and so that conversation has evolved much more from a traditional licensing, ancillary revenue conversation to a more strategic partnership-oriented one. So we've looked for partners that kind of share our vision around aligned interests of, hey, how do we go build the biggest business uh, around Star Trek on mobile together possible. And then we customize the economic relationship to promote, you know, long-term alignment of our interests. And so in some cases, um, you know, their primary goals are to, uh, to really introduce that brand to new audiences. And sometimes it's to cater to existing core audience. Sometimes it's usually a combination of both. Um, And, you know, also to, uh, you know, to have a very profitable business in its own right, but one that is also synergistic with everything else they're doing with those brands.
0: I'm curious how you look at the entertainment space in general though in terms of uh, the exploitation potential of all the IP that's sitting there both current and past. Is it is it is it an overharvested world or is it actually underexploited? Is there a, a sense of that?
1: Yeah, I think for for people who work in traditional media industries, it's surprising to understand just how big gaming is, right? Um in 2018, you know, gaming was estimated to be a 130 billion dollar industry growing, you know, double digits. Uh and according to the US Chamber of Commerce, in 2017, gaming was actually bigger than books, movies, music and esports services combined. Huge. Um it's huge and it's becoming more and more mainstream every day. I mean, there's 2.4 billion gamers out there, which is exponentially more than there were even 5 to 10 years ago because you know, if you think about it, the gaming audience in the West used to be sort of limited to people who own a console gaming device um, or people who are PC gamers. And hence, the, being a gamer was like part of your identity, right? It was it, you either were somebody who did that or you weren't. And now everybody has a gaming device with them 24 hours a day with with smartphones. Um, and so it's a much, much bigger industry. And I think people who own things people care about want to have an always on living ecosystem around their brands that people can can come in and engage with in the the way that they care about most. And so uh, I think, you know, it's it's really like one of the most fertile forms of media in terms of how fast it's growing and how many more people are coming into this space and becoming, you know, gamers every day. So I, I get how
0: big the business is, but what I'm curious is is how it relates to entertainment in terms of the opportunity there. Do you see that there's hundreds of entertainment properties that you could be making into games and these damn entertainment companies just yeah. aren't moving fast enough? Or it's like
1: actually there's not much out
0: there and
1: well, I think we're we're very selective about our partnerships, right? We are both looking for great brands and and audiences that care a lot about those brands and also where we can create We have confidence we can create a really world-class experience. Um, And then we're also looking for partners who, you know, have a shared vision of what we're trying to accomplish. And so there, there are a lot of those opportunities. They're not hundreds and it's, it's also not uh, like we're at the end of the list of things that would, would make a lot of sense. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to continue to bring new uh, new IPs into interactive mobile experiences, but we're also going to create original universes as well. So Um, While we've had more success probably in transforming things people already care about into into digital free-to-play experiences, um, we'll also probably create original worlds. And we may see those go from mobile first to other forms of media in the future. And it'll be interesting to see um, that transition. So, uh, you know, I'm getting a picture here
0: of the dynamic between you guys and the entertainment industry, but I want to know where the leverage is. In other words, is it companies like yours that are lining outside the studio doors or is it the studio executives lining outside your doors in terms of getting these games made?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an organic process and it's happened in both directions. There are certainly people who approach us all the time with ideas and, and properties that they would like us to make a mobile game. We, we do turn most of those uh, down because we are super selective about our partnerships um, and sometimes we see something that an IP holder isn't thinking about or is not top of mind for them. But as soon as we approach them and you know articulate our vision for it, they're like, that makes a lot of sense. So I would say the conversations have been pretty easy around the, the market opportunity, whether people are approaching us or we're approaching them. Um, there's a lot of receptivity from the traditional entertainment industry around gaming. And I think what what a lot of uh, those executives understand is that it's a very different business. And while it's also media, it's it's a different business model and requires a totally different set of skills. And so most of them are thinking, hey, we need to find great partners to approach this with. Um, and Scopey has really differentiated itself uh, in that regard. I mean, we've launched six consecutive mobile gaming franchises that will achieve over $100 million of lifetime revenues, uh, which is pretty unique across a wide range of IPs and gameplay. So... Uh,
0: Everyone from Discovery to Netflix in recent months have signaled they're stretching into the gaming business. Do you think that gaming-related revenues are going to become more and more central to media companies, or is it really no different than what it's always been going back years? Because the relationship between entertainment and video game companies has been there for decades. I just think it's changed a lot.
1: Yeah, I think traditional media executives are understanding how fast gaming is growing and how mainstream it's becoming, but they're also understanding that in many cases, you need to really be hyper-focused and specialized on being able to execute on that front. And so I think right now, most of our conversations with media companies are about how do they go to direct to consumer and, and optimize their direct to consumer strategy. And Scopely is Kind of operating on a different vector because we think uh, that the really exciting evolution is going to be providing directed by consumer experiences. And what do you the, mean by that? By that, I mean that, that, um, software has disrupted a lot of different industries, uh, over the last decade and it's disrupting media in a, in a pretty straightforward way as people are using software to deliver traditional media to people in new and exciting ways. Um, but I think the next revolution is going to be that the, the software becomes the entertainment. And if you have, uh, an entertainment experience that is dynamic, then people can it can adapt to the way people are using it and the users can direct their own experience. And that allows uh, people to have a really personalized experience. It feels unique to them. It has a lot of value. And also you can personalize the business model on a per-user basis. So all of our games are free to play. Um, you have unlimited access to the game uh, for free. Uh, and people choose to invest in their experience, usually by buying virtual currency, which they can use to you know enhance their experience in a totally self-directed way. Um, and we find that people really like being able to decide how much uh, they want to spend and on what cadence they, they want to spend it on.
0: Well, you talk about virtual currency, and of course, the name Fortnite comes to mind. You can't have a gaming conversation. Of course, yeah, days, of course. Without mentioning Fortnite. But I am curious, you know, how a company like Scopely looks at that success. And, you know, or do you guys feel that the business strategy that you're currently pursuing could set you up for that level of success, or is that just a completely different uh, thing that Fortnite is doing? What Epic Games is
1: doing? Yeah, no, we're super excited about uh, Fortnite and its impact on on both the gaming industry and um, on players and and people's perception of gaming. I think it's been a real um, transformative moment in terms of how you know gaming being part of the zeitgeist and and really becoming incredibly mainstream. And I think. Uh, that's attracted a lot of interest from uh you know people in the traditional media as well as investors and and you know other gaming companies who are thinking about you know how big the opportunity is here. So I mean, you know, it has catalyzed more interest in the space. We saw twenty-two billion dollars of MA activity in gaming in twenty eighteen and another five and a half billion of investment in gaming last year. So um I think it's catalyzed a lot of interest in the space. And I think what is unique about Fortnite was that it was um, cross-platform and free from day one. And so it was able to reach users on a lot of different devices um, and they built a great experience that was really broad and in a new category, Battle Royale Games, that is probably a $20 billion industry this year that didn't exist three years ago. And so um, it shows, I think, you know how there are going to be new categories of gaming that are created in very short periods of time that are bigger than entire segments of media within a couple of years. Um, and it also shows this convergence of, of devices and, and, and business models. So traditionally, console games used to pay $60 to buy the game up front. And then there would be a sequel two years later. Uh, Fortnite is a free-to-play game that is available on consoles, but also on mobile. And, and we think the future of interactive entertainment is going to be giving people you know, the experience they want on whatever device they want, whenever they want, at whatever price point they want. Um, and you know, Fortnite was one of the first... Uh, Uh, products that it really delivered on that proposition. So
0: clearly there's tremendous upside to be had being in the gaming business. But, you know, you also seem to think, I, I also seem to think that when I hear about companies that are doing well in the gaming business, that there have been some that they're flying high today and then they fall tomorrow because, sorry, because the trends seem to change so dramatically and so quickly. So how does a company like Scopely avoid, you know, being the flavor of the month?
1: Yeah, I think historically when people thought about the gaming space, they thought, you know, is it, uh, are these durable long-term revenue streams, right? And obviously in a in a purchase-to-play environment where somebody is paying $60 for a game up front, uh, it looks more like the movie business where there's a lot of money made in the first weekend after after a launch. Um, and so the revenues are not as consistent and predictable um, what we've seen is a really transform- transformational uh, evolution of the business model towards free live services. Um, and so those live services are really like living ecosystems where every day a player can come in and different things are happening in the game um, and new features are being released every few weeks. And the the ecosystem is evolving very dramatically. And so these are almost more like themed digital playgrounds than they are traditional games. And that has created um, you know much longer term user engagement. And so um, we're seeing that the, the other reason that gaming is attracting so much investment lately is because people have underestimated how durable these franchises are in a live service model. Um, the same way we've seen a lot of software companies going from, from licensing fees to software as a service. You see the same thing in, in gaming and how it's a really attractive business model if you can create a, a durable um, uh, service for players that they can that pay for over time. And we see it in our products um, so our Dice franchise, Yahtzee and, and Dice with Buddies, is our oldest franchise that's eight years old and achieved record revenues last quarter. Hmm. So you can see these things growing eight years in. Um, that's something that I think is is new for people as they look at the space and understand that, that things these businesses can grow for a long period of time.
0: And also when you're talking about, you know, you use the term experience and it's yep. not just a game. Yep. Uh, it, it just makes me wonder whether we're going to see sort of different kinds of hybrid forms of entertainment and gaming. And there's been some interesting experiments along the way. But, you know, you guys are traditionally taking IP from entertainment that's already been out there. But have you thought about what happens if
1: entertainment and the game launch at the same time? I think we'll see all flavors of that happening moving forward and and we do talk a lot about experiences because I think the other thing is we don't sell games right the games are free and we don't sell content either the content is un, you know we have unlimited access to our games what we offer people a chance to do is invest in a personalized experience and uh and that's just a different mindset uh around uh around media is that hey we we created this world for you to come in and customize and and invest in however however you want and so um, I think that is leading to lots of new forms of gameplay and frankly, blurring the line between what is a game and what is an interactive sure. experience. And we've, we've already seen that with, you know, products of interactive fiction, right? Is it is it a story if you're choosing your own adventure and paying to choose different routes or is it a game, right? It's, it's really blurring the lines. And I think we'll continue to see more things that are um, broader uh, than, than traditional console or PC gaming um, that are increasingly mainstream experiences for people. Who knows, maybe by 10 years from now, we'll see, you know, a
0: show like Westworld becomes an actual kind of product out there, something that really blurs the real and the virtual.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there will be, uh, you know, digital interactive versions of, of things that, uh, that people care about are going to be, you know, manifesting themselves in a lot of different formats. And, and we'll continue to see innovation in that as this becomes increasingly central to people who own intellectual property's overall business strategy. So your usage of TVIP isn't your only
0: Hollywood connection. You've got some interesting investors from this world as well. So talk about who's in your camp these days and what your investment picture is looking like going forward.
1: Yeah. So Scopely has raised uh, $260 million from both venture capitalists and in- individuals. Um, and we've sought to to bring people in that we thought understood our business, understood where media is headed. And we have a number of uh, investors that have been with us, you know, since the early days, like Evolution Media, which um, has made a lot of investments in, in digital media space. Graycroft, which is an LA New York based firm that is kind of focused on digital media, um, and then we've seen, you know, a lot of individuals that are interested in this space that come from, um, you know, traditional media world. So there are a number of um, executives from from entertainment that have invested personally over the years, and we've kind of sought to to bring people in that we thought um might be good sources of wisdom you know who've been farther down the path in these other forms of media as we think about how this landscape is going to evolve we think probably there will be some key learnings from veterans of other forms of media and is there
0: something to having your company here in los angeles i know you've got a, a new headquarters opening up in culver city
1: we do. Yeah, we've been growing really rapidly and we um, are moving into a new space in the platform in Culver City. Culver City is a very active uh, area right now for high growth uh, companies in the media space. Um, and we we are based in L.A. for a reason. While we have operations all over the world, we have offices in Barcelona, um in Dublin, multiple studios across Europe and and North and South America. um Our headquarters in Los Angeles for a reason, because I think L.A. has always excelled at creating... Um, you know, cultural phenomenon and experiences that make people feel something. And now we're just using technology as a means to deliver that, that, um, you know, cultural uh, experiences. And, and I think it's been a place where we can attract talent that understands media, technology, gaming, um, and how to build things that are relevant to large audiences and so it's been a great place for us to be when we frankly when we started the company there was a lot of pressure on us to to be in San Francisco and I think at this point everyone sees that we're more advantaged by being in Los Angeles
0: and in terms of the the, the shape of your company what's interesting is you obviously you've got sort of your core operations but then there's sort of this loose federation of other studios working on games uh, but they're not You're not owned and operated. So talk through what that is and the logic behind it.
1: Yeah. So as I said, the kind of core um, building block of Scopely was the technology and business platform to turn any digital experience into a bigger business and and to personalize those experiences on a per user basis. And then we build these content strategies around which um, types of games do we want to be making. And then we've just approached it, you know, frankly, the same way a lot of people in the entertainment industry have approached things. Who would be the best people to make this product? Um, both in terms of the scope of the employees that would be participating in that as well as through partnerships. And so uh we've structured those as as you know, studios that we own hundred percent of, studios that we make minority investments in that make games on our platform um and in partnership with us, or a long-term commercial relationship. So we've been more dynamic than a lot of other gaming companies that have tended to only make games at studios that are hundred percent owned and operated with every you know uh you know participant in that project, being an employee of the company. And we feel like um, that's pretty limiting and not as dynamic an ecosystem as as we would like. And so we want to partner with um, teams where they can augment our capabilities and where the the combination of the two is more powerful than we would be on our own. So we do own a quite a quite a few studios, but we're also open to minority investments or long-term partnerships. For us, it's about creating the best consumer experience as possible with partners we're aligned with for the long term. So if it makes sense, you guys could be acquiring
0: certain properties, it's just not necessarily a big directive.
1: No, we, I mean, we already are, right? So um, so actually recently we acquired uh, Digit Game Studios in Dublin, which was a studio that we had a minority investment in where we co-developed Star Trek Fleet Command, which we launched late last year. It's been an extremely successful uh, first foray into uh, massively multiplayer online strategy games. Um, I mean, it's crazy levels of engagement and the average daily active user is playing 60 hours a month. Um, really, really, uh, people are very passionate about the game, about that universe. Uh, and it's been a very successful partnership with Digit where we were minority investors and and we recently acquired hundred percent of the company, um, just a couple months ago. And so we'll continue, uh, you know, to acquire companies, invest in them. Some of those investments may lead to majority, um, acquisitions, but, you know, some, some teams want to retain, uh, their independence and would prefer to have a long-term minority, investment and we're open to that kind of arrangement as well we're relatively agnostic as long as we're working with great teams to produce great products and we feel really aligned for the long term um you know with where we're going as a business you mentioned star trek and massive
0: multiplayer and it seems like you guys are trying a lot trying out a lot of different genres is there a genre of gaming out there that you guys have not gotten to yet that interests you that you may eventually get to
1: uh, well, I think we have a lot of opportunities when we started the business. Um, we were really focused on what we call casual games, which are really, you know, very mainstream, large audience types of games and really making them more social, co- collaborative and competitive um, with products like Yahtzee, where, um, you know, it's uh, you can play, you know, head to head against friends. You can compete in tournaments. You can play against the computer. Uh, and then uh, in 2015, with the launch of The Walking Dead Road to Survival, we, we took the Skybound Walking Dead graphic novel and created a uh, pretty competitive role-playing game. Um, And so that was our first, what are called mid-core games in the industry that are really competitive. Um, You know, that product has been extremely successful. We estimated it will generate over $400 million in the first five years since launch. And so we successfully entered that category. And then we did several other role-playing games, one in partnership with the WWE in 2017 and then late last year with Warner Brothers on Looney Tunes. Um, and then and then as we mentioned we moved into the massively multiplayer online strategy game genre last year with with star trek fleet command and so between those three product verticals we have huge opportunities to go deeper into those categories so I think you'll continue to see us um, you know go deeper into those categories and we'll probably augment that with one or two other um, product verticals organically and then we're also looking um you know pretty extensively at acquiring other teams that have already, you know, developed expertise and built product market fit in an adjacent categories where we can help them further commercialize their properties.
0: Last question. Do you have a a very clear vision of where Scopely is going to be three, five or more years out? And, you know, is there sort of a, you know, strategic philosophy or culture that you're sort of breeding at, at Scopely that helps fuel that vision?
1: Yeah, I mean, we as, as at the core, we see ourselves as an experience company, right? And we're building digital experiences um for people on on a very large scale, and uh, we want to be the best company in the world at, at creating long term digital experiences that are directed by the consumer and puts the power in their hands to decide, you know, where they want to take that their experience and builds the technology and tools to respond to to where they're taking it and and uh, become more personalized over time. And we think. You know, that's super exciting vision to, to be the kind of leading, directed by consumer media company in the Western world. Well, uh, I to a Star Trek related company, I wish you to live long
0: and prosper. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing the Scopely story unfold. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.